Blog Talk Radio. And hello out there to all you Brooklyn folk. This is Sam Maxwell once more with the Bedford and Sullivan podcast, the podcast that keeps you, the audience, active listeners in the Brooklyn Dodgers TV series research process. And uh, no stranger to the podcast is uh, Mr. Ron Schweiger, the Brooklyn Borough historian. And today he will be helping us uh, try to try to learn a little bit about uh, a neighborhood in Brooklyn that a lot of people don't know too much of uh, the history about, and that's Weeksville, Brooklyn. So, Ron, thank you for joining me today. First off, before we start talking about Weeksville, with, with everything going on, how are you and your family holding up? Um, we're holding up. Um, uh, hopefully everyone else is too. A um, couple of weeks ago, I had some minor symptoms where I lost my sense of smell and taste for about 10 days, but, and I couldn't eat much because I couldn't even taste the food. But it went away. I had no fever, no cough, and uh, now I'm eating like a horse. <laughs> I feel fine now. <laughs> well, you know, if you did have it, hopefully now you have the antibodies. But that's the thing. Only 10% of all of Americans have gotten tested. So, that's, you know, that's it's right. very possible that we, we have it. It's very possible that both you and I have it. It's, it's very possible, yes. But I'm glad I, I'm feeling better, and uh, um, I just – you know, we just can't go out and do the things that we normally would be doing on a nice day like today here in New York. Well, some people are, are uh, basically needing uh, those, you know, paying attention to those words, but a lot of people are not when it gets this nice out. So uh, everybody, you know, we're, we're, we're going to get through this very soon if we all are, you know, compliant. So uh, just take it easy. Take it slow, and uh, we're going to be we're going to be be at these museums. We're going to be seeing baseball. We're going to be at concerts eventually again. Everything, everybody, take it easy and take it slow. So, uh, without further ado, let's let's fill the time uh, with some uh, some knowledge. Uh, there's there's a, a, a and how many square blocks is Weeksville exactly? Uh, I'm not sure of the square blocks, but. It was a large enough community back in the uh, mid to late 1800s and around the turn of the century where uh, the community had a hospital, a uh, school. Um, they had uh, a, a one, at least one or two churches, and it was a thriving community where they had stores and uh, you can go shopping. Uh, it was a free black community, and we'll get into that, how it originated and everything, I'm sure, in a couple of minutes. But it, it, it was, uh, I'm guessing, maybe, uh, maybe about eight to ten square blocks, something like that. Yeah, it seems like it. I mean, you know, at the tail end of Eastern Parkway, where it, it splits off diagonally from its main uh, strip with the mall, uh, it, it's basically from Utica Avenue over to where Pacific Street and Rockaway Avenue meet up. Uh, it said that, that right there is the, the square blockage that, w that would be considered Weeksville, correct? Yeah, that's approximately the, the correct uh, um, street. The, the streets that you mentioned would be correct. I, I think Atlantic Avenue cuts through there as well. Um, mm -hmm. And, um, and it's, uh, uh, it, it was a thriving, thriving free black community. At a, uh, at a time that was many, many years before the Civil War even began. Right. Uh, it, and it gives us some of that history. Uh, I was looking it up a little bit myself. Uh, it seems like this formed in the 1830s. But if you'd like to, to begin with uh, the history of Weeksville. Okay. Well, first of all, slavery uh, was abolished in New York State in 1827. Um, um, actually, there were, it, it started around 1799, where a lot of slave owners started to uh, free their slaves, and some of them stayed on and worked as indentured servants and got paid. Um, but it was in 1827 that New York State abolished it. Um, in 1838, nine years later, a free black man, named James Weeks, who came from Virginia, um, 
he, he was a slave. Um, he was freed, and he came to New York, to Brooklyn specifically, um, and established a free black community. He bought land from, um, I'm trying to remember the guy's name, um, the, the Lefferts family. Um, was a very wealthy farming family that was in Brooklyn for, oh, gee, since the 16, late 1600s. And um, they had a large land holdings, m- various members of the Lefferts family. In fact, today in Prospect Park is um, the Lefferts homestead. And it's open to the public, although not right now, of course, because of the virus. But um, many school groups go there all during the school year and learn about uh, farming. Sorry to interrupt you. Sorry to interrupt yeah. you, but is that the, the house? Is that the house right under the the uh, zoo? Excuse me. Uh, uh, the house under where? Uh, on on Flatbush Avenue. Is that the the, the Lefferts house? Is is that right yeah. underneath the uh, the the uh, zoo? Um, yeah, it's just south of the entrance to the zoo. Prospect Park Zoo. That's the Olympics okay. homestead. And it originally stood on Flappish Avenue, several blocks south. And during the Revolutionary War, um, the, um, the locals burned it intentionally so that the British couldn't use it as a headquarters. When the war, the Revolutionary War ended in 1783, the Lefferts family rebuilt the house um, and, and lived there. And um, I think it was in 1918, with the efforts of the uh, Daughters of the American Revolution um, and the Lefferts family, the house was donated to Brooklyn and moved from, from Flappish Avenue, several blocks south of where it is now, into Prospect Park, where it uh, was turned into a museum, which it is now. And behind the house, um, is where they, they grow various uh, foods, uh, potatoes, carrots, and whatnot. And like I said, um, a lot of school groups. And it's open to the public on, on weekends um, and during the school year, school groups uh, frequent it a lot, and they learn about what farming was like back in the day. Well, that's great that, that you know, uh, that's provided to the urban, uh, uh, you know, kid that, generally is not going to be have any knowledge of that whatsoever. Um, and, and speaking of which, you know, there's, there's uh, over in Weeksville, there's uh, the original village w- was lost for a time. I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a little confused as to exactly how it, it had to be rediscovered. So if you could go into uh, uh, the, the preserved area, and I'm forgetting what the, the name of the houses are, so if you can enlighten us as well to that, but, but it was rediscovered in 1968, correct? Yes. Um, what happened in 1968, two gentlemen, uh, Mr. Jim Hurley and Joseph Haynes. Mr. Haynes was an engineer and a pilot, and they were flying over Brooklyn using old maps to see the street grid. And as they flew over that particular area where, where the Weeksville houses are, are located now, um, they noticed this street that was kind of on a weird angle compared to the regular street grid that they were flying over. And they, was, and they noticed from the plane, and it was a small plane. It was just the two of them in the plane. They noticed that on this little street, which is, by the way, known as Hunter Fly Road, which back in the days when the Dutch were here, it was part of an Indian trail. So they flew over. They saw this strange angled street and when they landed they went back they drove to the location and noticed there were i believe four or five houses in not such great condition and they did some research and there was a a lovely woman named Joan Maynard and Joan who lived in the area um Dr. Joan Maynard um and she started a campaign to get these houses landmarked. Um, And um, more research was done and realized that this was part of a free black community dating back to 1838. Um, And um, today, the 
area, the, the weak skill area, uh, the houses, are on the city, state, and national register of historic places. It's a New York City landmark and on the state and national register of historic places. Um, and Joan Maynard helped to found the Weeksville um, Heritage Society. And now the whole thing is known as the Weeksville Heritage Center because in 2013, um, with money allocated and raised with a huge uh, fundraising effort, $34 million, 23,000 square feet, a new heritage um, Weeksville Center was erected. And of course, that was open to the public and to school groups to learn all about the history of Weeksville, how it came about. Um, there's some very, very interesting things about uh, what occurred there. First of all, during the draft riots in 1863, and um, for those who are listening, if you saw the movie, um, oh, I'm trying to remember the name of the movie. Um, the, the, the character in the movie, the bad guy, his name was Billy the Butcher. I'm trying to remember the name of the movie. I'll yeah, look it, it up a, for you, but I, I don't remember it off the top of my head, but I'll look it up well, for you. Okay. Well, anyhow, um, the draft riots in 1863, um, a lot the of, of the... Gangs of New York. The Gangs of New York. Thank you, Sam. Very good. You're on the ball. In <laughs> um, the Gangs of New York, which part of that movie, uh, uh, what happens is the, the draft riots in 1863. Um to try to get people uh, into the uh, the Civil War, which was from 1861 to 1865. And a lot of the blacks in Manhattan, in New York City, Manhattan, came across on ferries and rowboats into Brooklyn. And they knew about the free black community of Weeksville. And they came there to, to as, a, as a refuge to, to save their own lives during the draft riots. And... Um, uh, that's part of the history of Weeksville. Incidentally, in the movie, The Gangs of New York, there's um, part of the movie states that Billy the Butcher um, took part in the draft riots. Well, that's false because he died in 1858. <laughs> so Hollywood, <laughs> take, <laughs> Hollywood very often will... Uh, Rewrite the, the the factual script, <laughs> and uh, this right. wasn't found out. By the way, this wasn't found out until research was done to find out where he was buried. And guess what? He's buried in Brooklyn in Greenwood Cemetery, and there was no gravestone, oh, wow. no gravestone. So they didn't know exactly where it was. But Greenwood has fantastic records. And uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Jeff Richmond, who's the, the prime historian of Greenwood, he did some research and discovered where the burial site is. And so many people wanted to come after the movie, after they saw the movie, to see the grave where Billy the Butcher was buried. So Greenwood erected a gravestone signifying the spot. So this is kind of a very, very interesting history here. <laughs> And it's funny that, you know, for anybody who's a fan of the movie, they get there and they're like, wait a second, 1858, what, what's, what's that about? Uh, you know, and, and, but that, that's the thing, too, is, is that sometimes when you're manipulating history, if you will, as you go yeah. about writing this, you know, I can attest. I mean, obviously with Games of New York, Martin Scorsese uh, has people uh, a lot more talented than me, not to knock myself down a peg, but that, that's already been produced by an Academy Award-worthy director. Um, you know, sometimes along the way with certain characters, you know, uh, uh, so you, you realize that something may have happened, like for me, I realized something may have happened in 1938, but I might have to move it to 1937 or, or you know, whatever it is, right. you know, for example. Yeah. Sometimes you got to take creative liberties. Um, I, and... You know, it, it's it's really interesting. If you if you can speak about, I, I was somebody when I was mentioning Weeksville that we were talking about this was saying that it had a role in the Underground Railroad. Uh, do you know anything about that? Um, I'm 
Not really, but I know there were several places in Brooklyn um, where that were stops on the Underground Railroad. There, there is a house on Duffield Street in downtown Brooklyn that was going to be demolished uh, for an erection, I don't know, of a parking lot or a high-rise building during the uh, um, during these, this building uh, spree that took place in downtown Brooklyn. I mean, if you drive north on Flappish Avenue, you're going towards downtown Brooklyn. I mean, what, what you see it resembles midtown Manhattan. Um, I'm, I just hope it stays there and doesn't move further south into the, quote-unquote, the neighborhoods of Brooklyn, where you have these single-family, uh, one-family, two-family houses, because we don't want these high-rises um, you know, changing the character of the real, well, I don't want to say real neighborhoods. I mean, everyone lives in a real neighborhood, but the, the single family mm. and one and two family homes, tree lined streets, you know, we want to keep it that way. But uh, a little earlier, oh, by the way, there's, um, um, I live in the flatland section of Brooklyn and, uh, about a dozen blocks from where I live, um, um, there is an old farmhouse. In fact, there are about nine or ten original Dutch and Dutch-American farmhouses still standing in Brooklyn. Some are privately owned, and a couple are museums open to the public, like the Lefferts Homestead, as I mentioned earlier. Um, but the one in particular over here in the Marine Park section of Brooklyn, um, now I'm in Flatlands, and next to Flatlands is Marine Park. And uh, the address is 1940 East 36th Street. And if you drive by there, all of a sudden, you're going to see a white picket fence and a house, quite a large one, that is angled differently than all of the other houses on the block. Because it's an original Dutch farmhouse. The, the east wing of the house, which is by East 36th Street, it's the small wing of the house. That was built in 1720. The rest of the house, the larger part, and the west wing of the house that's closer to East 35th Street, that was added on in 1800. And it's known as the Henrik I. Lott House, L-O-T-T. And if you pardon the pun, there were a lot of Lots living in Brooklyn. There was Jeremiah Lott, <laughs> John Lott. Judge John Lott in Flatbush, a very prominent citizen in Flatbush. So, so, so who is the new Lott? I'm sorry. Sorry. I'm sorry. I said, who is the new? Who is the new Lott? But I'm. Oh, oh, new Lott. Now uh, everyone yeah, gets yeah. confused about that. <laughs> new Lott is spelled with one T. All right, but the Lott family has two T's. New Lott, which is a neighborhood um, uh, right near the. Uh, east New York section of Brooklyn. Going, if you go down Linden Boulevard, going all the way east, you'll come into East New York and New Lots and so on. All right, that those two, East New York and, and New Lots, were originally going back to the 1600s when the Dutch villages uh, were originated. Uh, was originally part of the the village of Flatbush, and of course that changed as the decades and centuries passed. And uh, now it's two separate neighborhoods in Brooklyn. But it was originally part of Flatbush. And what happened was how New Lots got its name, since it was part of Flatbush at one time, um, more, Flatbush was a growing community in the 1700s and into the 1800s. And um, a lot of the lots, not the family lot, but the land lots with one T, in and around the center of the Flatbush Village, which was Church Avenue and Flatbush Avenue, that's the center of the village, and the Flatbush Dutch Reformed Church at that intersection stands today. It is the third church on that site, and it was completed in 1796. The third, the first one was 17, I'm sorry, 1654 was the first church on that corner, uh, built by a direct order of Peter Stuyvesant, the governor of New Amsterdam. Because Flappish, the residents in 1600 didn't have a church. So they petitioned, petitioned Governor Stuyvesant, and he said, okay, you may build a church. 
So the current church, 1796, it was completed. And if you go into the graveyard of the church and you can walk into the graveyard, look at the gravestones. Many are engraved in Dutch. They date to the 1700s and the 1800s. And look at the names on them. The names are, many of them, the names of the streets in Flatbush today. The Martens family. There's Martens Street, one Mm -hmm. block north of the church. You have the Bergen family, Bergen Beach, Bergen Avenue here Hmm. in Brooklyn. Okay. Um, I believe a member of the Ditmas family is buried there. So anyhow, what happened was more people wanted to move into Flatbush. But the land lots in and very close to the center of the village were already filled. So the town fathers started to open up, you ready for this, new lots in the far eastern section of Flatbush. And a whole new town started to grow with its (laughs) own church. And that church is still standing today in New Lots, near New Lots Avenue, or on New Lots Avenue. So New Lots originally was part of Flatbush, and it was the New Lots that Flatbush opened up for more people to to buy the lots and, and develop a new community there. So that's how so it, I'm seeing it. I mean, it's, it's basically like Brown, Brownsville from a triangular perspective uh, is in between New Lots and Weeksville, looking at, yes, at the yes, map that, right that, now. And, and that's, I guess that's this, pretty is, close. this is, and is this, what is this, uh, Van Sinderen, it's basically where Van Sinderen Avenue and Eastern Parkway create par, uh, part of the triangle with East 98th Street on the other side. So, uh, yeah. and speaking of Bergen, Bergen Street is a street that goes through Weeksville. So, uh, uh, leading us back to, to uh, uh, the neighborhood in question for this, this podcast, Weeksville, uh, what, what happened after the Civil War with Weeksville? What, what, and, and not just the Civil War, uh, but into the 20th century. Uh, of course, it's incorporated into, into Crown Heights, um, but I, I, it seems as if it's, it's been... It's a separate type of, of thing. Uh, so what, yeah. what, what was the, the development of Weeksville over the years before, before basically 1968, before the, the village was discovered again? Okay, what was happening is um, in, there's, a nine, I believe, a 1920s photograph that shows the, the four houses that exist today of Weeksville that have been um, um, you know, um, preserved and, and fixed up. Um, and that's part of the museum now when, when people visit. In the, in the background of the 1920s photograph, there's a taller, um, like a Victorian-style structure. That was St. Mary's Hospital. Uh, that was a, like a couple of blocks away, but you can see it in the photograph, St. Mary's Hospital. But what happened was um, um, Weeksville continued to thrive following the Civil War because following the Civil War, more people, now remember, slaves were free after the Civil War. And a lot of them in the South started moving north, and they knew about the free black community of Weeksville. And incidentally, right nearby Weeksville was another free black community called Carville, C-A-R-R, okay, named after Mr. Carr. And uh, no, he did not have an automobile. <laughs> but um, so you had two free black communities pretty close to one another. But the main one was the Weeksville community. It was a larger one. And um, as we move towards the the late 19th century, the late 1800s, more development started, especially after the opening of the Brooklyn Bridge in 1883. Once the Brooklyn Bridge was completed, a lot of people in Manhattan, which was the city of New York, remember, Brooklyn was a separate city. You had New York City, Manhattan, and the city of Brooklyn. Now, the city of Brooklyn originally was established in 1834, but that was only the downtown area of Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Heights area, um, Red Hook, and a little further south, uh, towards the Park Slope area, uh, Cobble Hill, Borough Hill. That was the city of Brooklyn. Everything south and east of that was separate towns and villages dating back to the days of the Dutch. And gradually, gradually, the city of Brooklyn started in 1855 to gather in some of the local um, villages and towns. Uh, 1855, 
the city of Williamsburg. Williamsburg was a city for about four years, from 1851 to 1855. And it had like 35,000 people just in Williamsburg alone. And that was all because of the industry there. All the breweries, how about, how's about that? At the turn of the century, Brooklyn was the beer capital of the United States with over 45 beer breweries just in Brooklyn. So Williamsburg, Greenpoint, and Bushwick were annexed into the city of Brooklyn in 1855. Then by the time the 1890s came around, um, other of, of the Dutch towns like um, New Utrecht and um, New Amersfoort, which became Flatlands where I live, and Flatbush and, and Gravesend, by 1896, all of the individual towns and villages were annexed into the city of Brooklyn. But when the Brooklyn Bridge opened, all you had for the city of Brooklyn was the whole downtown area, um, uh, Williamsburg, Greenpoint, and Bushwick. That was the city of Brooklyn when the Brooklyn Bridge opened in 1883. So overcrowded Manhattan, New York City, now had easy access the people from the tenements of lower Manhattan, overcrowded, now with their own horses and wagons. And by the way, the Brooklyn Bridge had trolleys and trains also. A lot of people don't know that. So they were able to have easy access without taking a ferry, although the ferries still were functioning, to come into Brooklyn. And now builders and developers started to buy up a lot of the farmland in Brooklyn. Because Brooklyn was very, very... Um, agricultural when the Brooklyn Bridge opened. And um, so the farmers saw the handwriting on the wall that it was more profitable for them to sell their farmland than to actually farm it. Because remember, farming is only seasonal. So they were offered a nice amount of money, the farmers, to sell their farmland. Now, railroads already existed. You know, the steam railroads, it ran, you know, in various places in Brooklyn. So the owners of the railroads started to ban their railroads further out into Kings County, into you know Brooklyn, as more developers started to develop and build more housing tracts. Now, more housing, you need more commercial establishments, stores to buy things, tailors, uh, grocers, carpenters, uh, um, you name it, shoemakers, uh, you know, uh, craftspeople. So this is how the development started. Now, with Weeksville, all around Weeksville, new housing started to go up. And by the 1930s and 1940s, um, a lot of people in Weeksville started to leave to better housing. Of course, new, the new housing was better than the housing they were living in because what they were living in was really starting to become um, almost falling apart. Um, they didn't have, some of them did not have the modern amenities that the new housing had. So Weeksville started to deteriorate until it was rediscovered in 1968. And there's something very interesting that I want to mention here. Um, two people in particular. There were um, um, a woman, Dr. Susan Smith McKinney. She was born in Weeksville as an African-American, and she became the very first African-American female doctor in New York State, so, uh, Dr. Susan Smith McKinney, and she's still in Brooklyn today. She's buried in Greenwood Cemetery. All right. Someone else came to live in Weeksville. He was just not there originally. I just want to, sure. sorry, before you keep going, uh, Susan Smith McKinney Rehabilitation Center and Nursing Home is at 594 Albany Avenue. Okay. And she was the first African-American female doctor that got a license to practice medicine in New York State. And she's in Greenwood Cemetery. This other fellow, his name is Moses Cobb, C-O-B-B. -B. In the 18... I believe the 1850s or early 1860s, if I'm not mistaken, um, either just before or during the Civil War. I don't know how he did this. I don't know. But he lived. He was from North Carolina. You ready for this? He walked from North Carolina to get to Weeksville because he had heard through 
through this underground railroad about the free black community in Brooklyn. So he came, settled in Weeksville. I don't know exactly what year it was. And he eventually What was became his name again? Sorry, Moses Cobb? Moses Cobb. Two Bs, like Ty Cobb, the baseball Thank player. You. And he became one of the, if not the first, black police officers in Brooklyn. And, and his uh, post, I believe, was either in or right near Prospect Park. So Susan Smith McKinney and Moses yeah. Cobb, two prominent citizens from Weeksville. Now, it's, it seems to be, he doesn't have a, a Wikipedia, but Susan McKinney Stewart does. What, uh, what did you say her name was before? I guess she got uh, married. Yes, yes, I, got, I left that to Stewart. Yes, you're right. So, so, first of all, here's a little trivia without... Which comes first? The, the Susan Stewart Smith McKinney, that's her name? Susan McKinney Stewart, according to Wikipedia, and also Susan Maria McKinney Stewart. Uh, Boy, uh, she I, was I, born Susan... She was... No, I was going to say that she was born Susan Maria Smith on March 1847. Now... Here's my here's my question for you, uh, Ron. Yeah. Where what neighborhood in Brooklyn was Susan born? What year was she born? I don't know. Well, she was born in she was born in uh, March 1847. But what Brooklyn neighborhood was she born? She was she was born in Weeksville. That's where she was born. According to Wikipedia, she was born in Crow Hill. Now Crow okay. Hill doesn't exist. Crow Hill. Anymore. Crow Hill became became Crown <laughs> Heights. Crow Hill right, became Crown what Heights. Real estate, what real estate uh, developer wants to be selling Crow Hill? You want to be selling Crown Heights. It it makes yes. sense. It's it's the combination of of the kingdom as well as as being high. Yeah. Well, Crow Hill got its name. Um, well, first of all, the reason the name was changed. Um, Crow Hill had a large prison. Um, the prison is long gone, and the name Crow Hill kind of fell out of favor. And if you let, add an N to Crow, it became, becomes Crown. And if you know, if you go up Bedford Avenue from Flatbush and you are approaching Eastern Parkway, once you get much closer to Eastern Parkway, you notice Bedford Avenue is like going up on a slight incline, and it, you reach its, its apex. Mm -hmm right at Eastern Parkway, and then it slowly, you cross Eastern Parkway, and it slowly starts to go down again. What is that high point there? Well, that's the height of Crown Heights. So mm -hmm. Crow mm -hmm. Hill became Crown Heights. Now, where did the height come from? Well, if we go back 70, 80, 90,000 years ago to the last ice age, the southern terminus <laughs> of the glacier ended at Long Island. It ended. It stopped. And slowly it started to recede, which is happening to the glaciers in Greenland right now and Antarctica, okay? You know, climate change. So the southern terminus of the ice was right at where, all, all through, if you start um, in Bay Ridge, and again, there's the ridge, the high point. You go Bay Ridge into Greenwood Cemetery, Prospect Park, um, Eastern Parkway, Crown Heights, all that going out into the spine of Long Island, this is the ridge where as the ice began to recede and melt, all of the boulders and the rocks and the silt and the pebbles that the glacier was carrying as the ice melted, all of that was dropped. And where it dropped, that became a high point as it receded. And that's where that ridge comes from, that high point, the height. That's, that's, and then that's what's so amazing about the overall history. It's not just when, uh, you know, the white man arrived, when Henry Hudson went up the, 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 what is now the Hudson River. Like we're talking from an ecological historical standpoint, this land, it, 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 it has some otherworldly, you know, it, 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 it leaves you, convinced that there is something else 
going on and that there's something else being sculpted because of, of how perfect this entire harbor and land was to create what we now know as the behemoth of, of modern society. I, I um, uh, going, to, going back to Susan McKinney Stewart, what, what's interesting from a Wikipedia standpoint is that on the side tab, it says Crow Hill, Brooklyn, New York. Uh, and, and, and in the biography, it says she was born in Weeksville, like you said, now Crown Heights, Brooklyn. But right. it, it certainly at the time, I mean, she was born in 1847. At this point, it certainly is Weeksville, even if the surrounding area is Crow Hill. Right. Well, Weeksville was right in the middle of the Crow Hill uh, community, um, as as it is today, part of uh, right on the border of Crown Heights and Bedford Stuyvesant. And incidentally, uh, I'm looking at my notes here, um, and if we go back to the very beginning, um, in the 1830s, I mentioned that the Lefferts family, and specifically John Lefferts, um, the Lefferts family were one of the largest slave-owning families in Brooklyn. And in the 1830s, John Lefferts began selling off parts of his estate, and, which was mostly farmland. And a guy named Henry Thompson, um, a black abolitionist, purchased 32 lots. That's one T, not a lot for me. Um, so Henry Thompson bought uh, a black abolitionist, bought 32 lots from John Lefferts. Then he sold two lots to other African-Americans, including two lots to James Weeks. And James Weeks established Weeksville with those original two lots. And by the 1850s, by the 1850s, 20 years later, more than 500 people were living in Weeksville. And by the way, Weeksville... (laughs) had its own newspaper. It had its own newspaper called the Freedman's Torchlight. That was the name mm-hmm. of the newspaper. Uh, so, so, and this is where we get into the nuance of, of that era. And, and when, cause when you, when you say slave owner and then sold land to a black man, they, you know, from, from the historical context of what the way we, Absorb, you know, absorb everything as sensationalized as it, as it is. You know, right. when you hear slave owner, you immediately think full on this person, you know, racism, this other person is, is an animal type thing. It, it, it's weird to even consider that Lefferts would own slaves if he was willing to, to sell to, uh, to a black man. And what, what's, it, 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 it just boggles the mind that it was that uh, gray for some northern folks, if you will. The fact that they weren't necessarily like there was, there was this weird moral ambiguity to what they were doing, what the northern folks were doing, because why would he even like? It, it's just why was he even owning slaves to begin with? The Lefferts family, and then and and part of it like was part of selling the estate like coming to terms with the fact that there, there shouldn't be slavery? Was it, or was it also, you know, was, was, was there at some point for many of these folks who owned slaves in the, in the middle of it all of, you know, coming to, to the light, if you will. Well, keep in mind when John Leffert started selling off his estate, which was a large plot of farmland, um, uh, selling it to, to, people who at one time probably were slaves and they were free. This is 11 years after slavery was abolished in New York state. And keep in mind also that a lot of the slaves became very, very uh, adept to certain crafts. Some of them were good as carpenters uh, and other, other businesses that they could establish as free people. And this is how they earned money. And by earning money, they were able to buy land. And this is a, this is how James Weeks, be was able to buy land. This is how uh, Henry Thompson, a black abolitionist, was able to buy land from um, John Lefferts, who then sold it. Uh, Mr. Thompson then sold it to James Weeks, and so on. So remember, a lot of these slaves were very adept uh, to um, being craftspeople, and they were able to earn money by, by 
selling what they knew best, their crafts. So let's let's talk a little bit more more about James Weeks. It doesn't seem like there's too much information outside of of uh, the fact that it's named after Weeks. Uh, Weeksville is named after James Weeks. Um, it you know the when when specifically in this modern age, if you will, uh, it it's redirected from James Weeks Friedman. Uh, when you click on that, it goes to Weeksville, Brooklyn. That's the only information uh, about him and. Um, is there, has anybody ever, you know, written a biography about him? Does, is there more information out there about James Weeks? Well, I don't know, but I'll tell you once this, this plague of the virus, uh, is gone with, uh, hopefully sooner rather than later, um, and things start to open up again, if, and when Weeksville, the, the society, you know, the museum opens up, um, I'm sure they may have more information there at the Weeksville Heritage Center. Of course, it is a museum about the history of Weeksville. So perhaps they have more information about James Weeks. And again, keep in mind, as I said at the beginning, he came from Virginia originally. And uh, just like Moses Cobb came from North Carolina. So, you know, they came north. And um, once uh, slavery was abolished in 1827 in New York State, but slavery was still rampant down in the South and they were able to get up North. And, um, and as they say, the rest is history. Look, this is what happened. And it says that, that no, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. This is what happened in the 1930s during the depression. Um, uh, so many people were out of work and I just hope <laughs> I'm afraid that might be happening with this virus now. It's, I wonder how many businesses may not be able to reopen. I hope that's not the case. But in the 1930s, during the Depression, a lot of American blacks in the South started moving north into the cities, th- thinking that in big the cities, they might be able to find some work. And this is what happened in Bedford-Stuyvesant. Um, Bed- you, know, you had two, two communities. You had Bedford and Stuyvesant Heights. And what happened was uh, some of these uh, Southern blacks started to settle in, in Bedford, in Stuyvesant Heights, uh, in the Crown Heights area, which was Crow Hill. All right. Um, and um, um, the, uh, a, a Brooklyn newspaper called the Brooklyn Eagle started to realize that the two communities of um, Bedford and Stuyvesant Heights started to meld together and became one community. And so that's how we got with Bedford Stuyvesant, Bedford and Stuyvesant right. Heights. That's how St- Bedford Stuyvesant came about. And, uh, and Bedford and Stuyvesant, right you go top, back to, you the, know, and I, Atlantic, a- Atlantic Avenue is the cutoff basically between Crown Heights, Weeks, you know, yes. Crown Heights and Weeksville and Stuyvesant Heights. Right, right. And if you go back to the turn of the century, um, uh, Bedford-Stuyvesant was a, uh, a predominantly white community. But that changed dramatically in the 1920s and especially the 20s and 30s during the Depression when the, the Southern African-Americans started moving north uh, into the cities. Um, and, um, and that's how Bedford-Stuyvesant got its name, from the Brooklyn Eagle newspaper. So here's, here's, so- so I know we're moving a little north of Weeksville right here, but obviously every neighborhood around here kind of sometimes blends in one another. I, you know, especially Bedford Stuyvesant is, is very uh, uh, fluid, if you will. Um, yeah. And to my and and you know, for my money, Crown Heights is the most beautiful neighborhood in Brooklyn. But that's a debate for another day. Um, what's so interesting when, when looking at this is, is that Stuyvesant Heights is a little lower, like, you know, this is just what Google is, is mapping out. But Stuyvesant Heights is a little lower than what they call specifically Benford Stuyvesant. They're actually naming Stuyvesant Heights as a, a separate thing, but they're not separating Bedford out anywhere. You know, that's obviously, you know, who knows exactly what they're going off of. But um, where exactly was Bedford from, you know, Stuyvesant Heights, what I'm looking at, Stuyvesant Heights is exactly above and a little bit diagonal, according to Google Maps. So where was Bedford specifically? Um, that would be probably a little uh, south and west of Stuyvesant Heights. 
but but very close. Okay. A little south, a little south and west of Stuyvesant. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense, and that's where you get Bedford Stuyvesant. So, right. um, yeah, I, I'm. There's so many different directions. I I did want to get to this. The fact that we were just talking about Henry Chadwick uh, with uh, Andrew Schiff, a biographer, a biographer of Henry Chadwick. Um, it turns out that he basically, I'm not sure if this is where he died, but it was 804 Halsey Street, uh, which is basically right about a half mile on top of where the Weeksville houses were. Um, so, and he died in 1908. So Henry Chadwick, who is the father of baseball, everybody go listen to the Andrew Schiff episode. Uh, back, back this past Monday, um, little shameless plug. So it, it, it's just it's fun to think about how much baseball was around this free black community at the time. There, you know, that's where the Capital Team grounds were were close by as well. Uh, uh, there, were, you know, we we have yet to considering that you know what was the heart of Brooklyn. Uh, I you know up until 1957, you would say was the was Brooklyn baseball and the Brooklyn Dodgers. And uh, considering where Weeksville is, there was certainly enough baseball history around here that probably isn't marked down right now. Well, first of all, when, when anyone mentions baseball, I got a little tear in my eye because I really miss baseball. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, and incidentally, yeah. the, incidentally, the Brooklyn Dodgers never moved. They're on an extended road trip. Well, well done. Well done. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you? Can you tell us a little bit about the Capitine grounds, uh, which was, I believe, nearby? I'm sorry. Which grounds? Oh, the Capitine grounds. I believe where the Atlantics, the Atlantics played. Um, I'm not sure of the exact location, but there were uh, there were a couple of places that were played. There was. There was another ballpark further east called Dexter Park, which I think was on the Brooklyn-Queens border. That's Dexter Park. Mm-hmm. That was a, another baseball field back in the 1800s. Um, so you had Dexter Park, um, the one yeah, you mentioned. Yeah, this is, and this then is you had exactly. Washington Park. We're, talking, we're talking Jefferson Avenue. It looks like it's about Jefferson Avenue, Hancock Street, Halsey, near close to Halsey Street. Um and near Nostrand Avenue, basically right off of Nostrand Avenue. That's where this ball. That's where the Capitoline grounds were. Okay, I'm I'm not too familiar with that one, but um, but I know Washington Park um, was more in the uh, Park Slope Gowanus area. And anyone who's listening, if you know on Fifth Avenue and Third Street, right on the border of Park Slope and Gowanus, uh, there's a playground. And in the playground is this large stone house. It's known as the Old Stone House, and which was adjacent to Washington Park, where the Brooklyn Baseball Club played. That team eventually became the Brooklyn Dodgers. And the stone house was, during the Revolutionary War, the site of where the Battle of Brooklyn took place. And in the 1880s and into the early 1890s, the stone house was the clubhouse for the Brooklyn Baseball Club. And that's where Charles Ebbets got a job sweeping the floors, selling the tickets, and eventually he became um, president of the ball club. And uh, he's still in Brooklyn, by the way. He's also buried in Greenwood Cemetery. And in 1912, Mm -hmm. he built Ebbets Field um, with the help of the uh, um, McKeever brothers, Edwin and Stephen McKeever, and uh, 1913, April 9th, April, uh, April, April 13th, I think it was, um, 1913 is when Ebbets Field officially opened with the first major league game. Although there was a minor league game a few days earlier on April 9th. Yes, um, I've been reading Frank Graham's uh, Brooklyn Dodgers and Informal History. And what's funny about that is the fact that um, – he got the outcome of the official game wrong. He said that the, that the, the day was beautiful and, 
the Dodgers beat the Giants three to two. They did not beat the Giants three to two. They lost to the Phillies one to nothing. And That's right. They, yes. they beat the Giants. They beat the Giants three to two at the Polo Grounds days later for opening day, uh-huh. the, or what I assume what I assume was opening day at the Polo Grounds. Um, I'll have to look into that whether the Giants what the Giants schedule was, but. Um, I, I was going to say that uh, d- d- you can help me with this. You know, they've always said that uh, Ebbets Field was in Flatbush. So wasn't like the other side of Empire Boulevard, isn't that Crown Heights officially? Oh, uh, and, yeah. and maybe that wasn't at the time, but it's okay. like, it, it, was it just because it was close enough and had a better ring? From a marketing perspective? Well, um, Emmett's Field was, uh, I would say Crown Heights, but it was like if you go a block or two south and west, you're in Flatbush. So it was right on the Flatbush Crown Crown Heights border. In the Brooklyn Botanic Garden, which is like two blocks away from where Emmett's Field was, um, I don't know if it's still there because they did a lot of renovation and creating new uh, uh, new foliage and new plants and everything in the last couple of years. But on the western, if you enter the um, the Empire Boulevard entrance to the Brooklyn Botanic Garden, which is closed now, by the way, because of the virus, that's too bad because everything is blooming so beautifully now. Um, and you come in, you follow the path, and as you're walking, the path either goes straight or you can turn left. If you take that left path, it goes left, and then it turns right, and you'll be walking on a path parallel to Flappish Avenue, but you really can't see Flappish Avenue because of the how the Botanic Garden is built higher, so you don't see it too much. There used to be a bronze or a brass strip across the, the paved pavement, and there was a big boulder next to the path, and on the boulder was a big plaque that stated that this bronze or brass strip separates the city of Brooklyn to the north and the village of Flatbush to the south. And if you take that bronze Ah. strip and stretch it due east, it'll take you right to Ebbets Field. Okay? (laughs) So Ebbets Field was right on the Flatbush Crown Heights border. (laughs) I don't know if that strip is still there or not. Yeah, we'll have to check when we are allowed to go back inside it. Um, well, if it's not Ron, there, I'm you know, going to tell them uh, to put it back. <laughs> exactly. Ron, we're, we're, we've basically got eight minutes until we reach an hour, and I think we can fill that for sure, but we're going we're gonna to keep it in an hour today. Um, and, and so what, what are some other things you would like to touch on? You know, I'll, I'll see – I'm going to uh, – uh, brainstorm exactly where to go, but what, what, what are some other things you would like to t- uh, touch on about Weeksville, Brooklyn? Well, I, you know, we pretty much covered uh, the basic history of it and who was involved and so on. Um, I'm sure there's more nitty-gritty details, but like I said earlier, um, once everything gets back to normal or maybe a new normal and the Weeksville Heritage Center opens, I'm sure they have a more detailed and in-depth history that uh, you and I and everyone else can find out about Weeksville. Um, but as far what as far well, as what I know right now, which, I, no, I was going to say, you know, uh, that that's a good direction to go, which is the Weeksville Heritage Center. So they run the historic Hunterfly Roadhouses uh, as well, yes. correct? Yes, they operate the house. So, correct. By the by the so way, outside. Well, Mm-hmm. By the way, one one of the houses is um, they redid the house to um, to about I think um, eighteen eighteen eighty I believe or eighteen seventy a, a second house was redone to nineteen thirty or the early nineteen thirties and so and some of the uh, the um, the the furniture is according to those dates in those two houses. One of the houses, I think one of the smaller ones of the four, is used now as an office. All right? So um, 
you, if, if you go visit there, again, once it opens up again, you can visit back to the 1800s, and again, it's about, to about 1930 or the early 30s. So my question for you, while you, uh, you know, need to visit with the Weeksville Heritage Center to go into the houses, um, my question for you is, uh, are, are the, are, is the road, can you walk down it free as, as you can in any Brooklyn street? Um, yes, uh, because if I'm not mistaken, hunt the fly, the addresses of, of the houses um, um, used to be a hunt the fly road. But Hunter Fly Road is, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, pretty much right next to where the houses are. Um, and the the Heritage Center, which opened in uh, 2013, um, is was erected on the property of what was once part of the whole village of Weeksville. So it's it's, it's a large a piece of property there. Well, Ron, I want to introduce to you, and I'm not sure if you two have ever talked uh, on air or off, but uh, um, Ron, let me introduce you uh, to the Brooklyn trolley blogger himself, Mike LeColant, who uh, helped us introduce Andrew Schiff uh, with the Henry Chadwick biography on the last episode. Okay. Good afternoon, Good afternoon gentlemen. Glad I, uh, glad I can sneak on, Sam. I just, I've been listening for a while, and I just wanted to jump in about the capo capo excuse me, Capitoline Grounds, uh, where Sam says the Atlantic's played, that field was bounded by Nostrand, Halsley, Putnam, and Marcy. And it's my understanding that that was carved from the Lefferts farm. Uh, perhaps you can verify the boundaries of the Lefferts farm. You know, the old maps, old maps will probably show the boundaries. Um, I don't have those maps. There's a, there's a, uh, I'm sure the um, Brooklyn Historical Society or the Brooklyn Collection at the Grand Army Plaza Library has old maps. Um, there's a, a good friend of mine, Brian Merlis, I know, has a collection of old maps of Brooklyn as well. And it'll probably show the layout and the boundaries of the old farmland uh, of, the, of the old families. So that maybe we can find out that way. And that ballpark was established in the 1860s, and in the winter they used to freeze it over for ice skating. Uh, <laughs> perhaps a a a more of a glimpse into the adjoining neighborhoods. I mean, how I understand that the properties were being purchased and row houses were being erected. Populous was the surrounding neighborhood around that. Obviously, we're talking Fulton Street, Dostrin, and Marcy. What year are you talking about? Uh, the, the, the surrounding neighborhood bounding Nostrand Avenue and Fulton Street and Marcy, around there, that's where the ballpark would have been. I know they were already in the process. Like in the 1860s, 1870s. Yeah, 1850, 1870. How populous do you think it was over there at the time? It was, it was not populous at that time. It became populous uh, after, after the Brooklyn Bridge opened, and then developers started buying up the farmland and started building new, new housing tracks. And uh, and and row houses, and and that started the de- de- the deterioration of the Weeksville community, because the these row houses were now surrounding the Weeksville the the the, re- the remaining houses of Weeksville, and the neighborhood started to deteriorate, especially during the 1930s during the Depression. I was recently there at the Weeksville Houses, and obviously it was during this time of the pandemic, so they were indeed closed. But I passed uh-huh. by there. I passed there numerous times to do work, and very um, many months ago, it was during the week, and it was in the middle of the day, and, and and the complex was closed. And I'm just hoping that they still maintain funding uh, to have that center open. Uh, well, well, I know. Th- I know that they were having um, um, money problems, and they were trying uh, to uh, start some fundraising to uh, to make sure that the the Weeksville houses can remain open, because it's a great learning opportunity and educational for um, school groups from all over Brooklyn and even from Queens. So uh, hopefully they can get their funding. I'll give it back to you, Sam. I'm on my way home. Sorry to take up so much time. I know you got to wrap up. 
No, thank you, Mike, for calling in. We appreciate it. You know, you always bring uh, plenty to the table. Um, and and, and in, in talking about that, now is a, a better time than any to visit the Weeksville Heritage Center website. Um, I'll pull it up right now for you guys to, to tell you exactly what it's called. Um, but if, if you can uh, – Ron, can you uh, – did they fundraise from their website? No, I don't, ha- I, I, I don't have that in front of me right now. Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to uh, pull it up to see it. It's Weeksville, WeeksvilleSociety.org. Everybody uh, take a look. See what you can uh, – yeah, you can donate right there. Uh, to the Weeksville Heritage Center, and uh, everybody okay. should. And if anybody listening uh, lives around that area, by all means, um, you know, check it out as well as donate. So uh, thank you, uh, Michael Cohen, for joining us uh, one more time, um, and we'll hear plenty of him uh, over the, the, the next few podcasts, I'm sure. Uh, um, Ron, we have uh, yes. reached a... a just after the hour, so I, I want to uh, pass it back to you. Thank you so much for joining us. And, and what would be your My final pleasure. word on Weeksville? What would well, be your um, final word on Weeksville? Well, my final word is anyone who's listening, uh, if when everything settles down, and I hope soon, uh, visit it. Go to the Her- Weeksville Heritage Center itself, and I'm sure they have more information about its history. And hopefully you'll get into the Weeksville houses, you know, the, the four buildings there, the four houses. Um, I just want to end with one thing. Let's go Brooklyn Cyclones and let's go Mets. Let's go Cyclones, let's go Mets, and let's kick coronavirus's ass. Thank you, Absolutely. Ron, for joining us. Can't wait for baseball to be back. And uh, we're going to keep on trucking with this research process, with this this show, uh, revving it up. Thank you all so much for listening. Take care, everybody. Take care. Take care, Sam. Bye.